When I was a kid, I wanted to be an architect, and now I am the inspiration guy. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guest today is Light Watkins. Light is a best-selling author, an accomplished meditation teacher, founder of the Shine Movement, and an inspirational keynote speaker and workshop leader. He's delivered over 500 wellness-themed talks around the globe since 2007. He hosts the podcast at the end of the tunnel. And without further ado, welcome to the pod, Light. Thank you. So glad to be here, Ben. Grateful to have you. I first learned meditation from you in the summer of 2015. If I had to venture to guess, I think part of the reason for that is not just you happen to be a handsome person, but you have an energy, a very positive, attractive energy. And I think that is what helped get me past some of the skepticism I had when I first came to your apartment for the intro session, because... I had a lot of preconceived notions about meditation and what to expect, but you just made it so relatable and you had this energy that I just imagined like if I ever meet George Clooney or Brad Pitt, that's the kind of aura they have around them. And I was like, how, how, do you, how does someone get that? So I remember coming in the intro and you actually taught meditation in a way that I'd never heard before. It was really accessible, really relatable and actually grounded in facts and science too, which was cool. So I would love to hear about how you developed your teaching style and how you think you've gotten good as a teacher. Because it's one thing for someone like me to regularly meditate, but it's another thing to be a skilled teacher like yourself. Wow. Thank you so much, man, for that. That's a really big compliment. And oddly enough, it's the same feeling I had when I met my meditation teacher for the first time. And so I became his apprentice. This was in 2003. I was invited to a meditation uh, intro by a friend of mine, and I wasn't really even looking to learn how to meditate because I felt like I kind of knew what meditation was all about. In fact, I had been teaching yoga for many years, and uh, and so I'd been leading meditations at the end of the yoga classes, but secretly I was feeling like this sort of low-key fraud because I was good at saying in the soft voice, you know, let go of your thought and uh, find your center and all of that. But I wasn't really having that experience for myself. I didn't know why. I just thought that's what meditation was. And uh, so when I met my teacher that night in 2003, he had that energy. He had that sort of inner peace or balance, or I still don't even really have language for it, but it was just a sense of contentedness that I had never quite been around before. And that's what really attracted me to that particular style of, of meditation, which I learned later was called Vedic meditation, uh, V uh, as in Victor, V-E-D-I-C, Vedic meditation. And, uh, and it was the first time I found meditation to be accessible and relatable and the instructions that he gave me were as simple and as, as plain as, as you know, directions you would give someone to go to your neighborhood store that you're very familiar with how to get there. And so that changed 
my understanding of how to relay information. And, um, and it's actually happened twice in my life. It happened there and it happened when I was in Israel of all places. I had this tour guide who's like the master of tour guides, right? He made every other tour guide I've ever had in my life seem just like an amateur. I had no idea that a tour guide could actually be a teacher. And, and that's what I experienced with him. And so those two moments in my life were sort of pivotal in that way, because then I understood what it means to be a proper teacher from having a proper teacher and what it means to have a proper tour guide from having one. And so I just adopted that. When I started teaching, I wanted people to have that same type of experience. And I'm still not sure if it's something that you can teach someone to have, because even when you go through the meditation teacher training, which I did years later, you don't learn how to teach. You learn what to teach, but you don't really learn how to teach and how to sort of segment information in bite-sized packets that can be easily digestible and all of that. So you kind of have to figure that out on your own. But luckily, I had been teaching yoga for several years before that. And what I now recognize as my secret weapon from teaching yoga is I wasn't a very flexible yogi. So I had to be able to rely more so on my verbal teaching skills as opposed to demonstrating poses. A lot of more flexible teachers can just pop into a pose and say, do this, right? Whereas I couldn't necessarily do that. So I had to talk people through it and I had to talk them through it while I was adjusting somebody else. So my back may be to the whole class and yet I'm describing what I want them to do and I learned how to simplify and simplify. And you have to understand left and right without being able to see it. And so after doing that, literally, you know, thousands of times, I became very good at it and understanding that the art of teaching really is simplification. And so I just adopted that from my yoga teaching and, and brought it into the meditation. And I think that's what you recognize when you came into the room. The other aspect to it is, you know, once you meditate for so many years, you obviously start to embody the um, the contentedness that I saw in my teacher and that and that becomes more and more effortless. Like it's not something you can necessarily fake. You have to either, you either have it or you don't. And it only comes through practice. It seems like every wellness professional I talk to has had this really cool journey where the wellness they're practicing now is usually the second or the third kind of wellness field that they're in. So for example, you started in yoga. It seems to me that the people who probably were coming to your yoga classes, uh, it was, they probably were very enthusiastic about yoga. I may be wrong. Whereas I think the people who come to an intro to meditation session, a higher percentage might be more skeptical coming in. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think just meditation in general, especially when I first started teaching it in 2007, I mean, it was such a novelty in our society. You know, this is well before Calm and Headspace and all of those apps made it more mainstream. Um, back then, it was people were highly skeptical, especially when I was basically asking them for, you know, anywhere from a few hundred bucks to thousands of dollars uh, after meeting with them for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> for me. 
And by the way, come first thing tomorrow morning, you know, you don't even have a whole lot of time to think about it and bring fruits and flowers. And bring an offering too. Yeah. <laughs> all of that, you know, but that's also by design. That's a way of sort of weeding out the curiosity seekers, people who aren't really serious about committing to a path. And if you ever go to places like India, it's a carryover from the old days in India where people would devote their entire lives to studying with a guru or master or teacher. And they would bring the best of whatever they had as an offering to that teacher. And it's a way of saying, look, I recognize the value of this offering so much and how much it's going to do for my life that I'm willing to make an exchange of this other material thing that I also feel was valuable, but not nearly as valuable as this knowledge that you're going to impart upon me. And so I kind of like that. That's actually what initially attracted me to this particular style. In addition to my teacher's uh, energy was at the end of the, the intro session, he said, if you want to work with me, I'd be happy to teach you the the requirements are you have to bring a bouquet of flowers, you have to bring a handful of fruits, and you have to bring a week's salary, whatever that is, you know? And he wasn't interested in seeing like tax returns or anything like that. It was all on the <laughs> honor system. So you got a chance to go inside right. of yourself and in good faith and in good integrity and in high integrity, determine what that amount was for yourself. And at the time, I wasn't really making any money, so it would have been easy because I was just starting off teaching yoga. So it would have been easy for me to just come in there with a couple hundred dollars and call it a day. But I really took that as an opportunity because I had been I had just read Autobiography of a Yogi a few months before that. And so I knew about, you know, manifestation and all of the different spiritual scenes over in India and, and this whole idea of abundance being an internal game and not really an external phenomenon. And I looked at that as an opportunity to really determine or to dictate what I wanted to create by what I was willing to give. And so I ended up going and emptying out my bank account. Well, not really empty. I had $900 in my bank account, <laughs> which was a lot of money for me at the time, right? I was in my late 20s. Yeah. And, and I again, I just started this new career of yoga teaching. And so I took $400 out of the nine. So I took out half of my net worth. <laughs> <laughs> and I contributed that to the teaching and I, he didn't even know he had a, he had a, an inter, uh, uh, in between, he had a manager. So he never knew how much anybody gave. Right. Mm. But we all knew how much we gave and that knowingness, I think it invests you into your practice in a way that, that makes you more non-negotiable about it as a, compared to getting something for free or not really feeling invested in it, you tend to give yourself more excuses and that kind of thing. So it made me feel like I was entitled to access and I would, and, and I would go back and sit in with my teacher whenever he came to town. And, you know, looking back now, 20 years later, that was easily the best $400 I've ever spent in my entire life. Right. At the time it was the most expensive thing that I, had purchased but looking back now it was i would give i would give anything in exchange for what i have invested in and, and created through my practice and my access to my teacher that was pretty much my exact experience when i came to your intro session where 
I had a good chunk of, of money that I put toward the class. And looking back now, it's only been six years. So a lot less time than you've had, obviously. But it's like to compare it to people in the business world, it's like if you invested in Apple stock 20 years ago. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At the time, it might have seemed like a big investment. But now if you could go back and make that same investment, you'd do it two, three times. Yeah, with, I, with, with zero hesitation, right? But yeah. but the thing is, you can't communicate that within an hour sitting with right. somebody, right? So that's why people get skeptical is because it sounds too good to be true, honestly. And only when you go through and, you know, you said, I like how you said it's only been six years. Six years is a very significant amount of time when it comes to a daily meditation practice. Most people don't have that relationship with meditation where they can do it every single day like you've been doing it twice a day even and uh but the time just goes by so fast because it enhances your perception of your life so much that you know you don't have a lot of bad days when you're a daily meditator right you still get emotional yeah. and all of that but it's just your perspective becomes so expansive that you can see the silver lining in most things most of the time and even when you can't the lag time in between not being able to see it and coming back to it gets shorter and shorter and shorter. So you don't have those experiences of something bad happening and, and that lingering in your life for months or years on end. That just that goes away for the most part, in my experience, at least. Yeah, I guess to continue with the stock analogy, and then I'll put it to rest. It's kind of like people who check their portfolio every day and and like, I, I should trade this. I got to give up. It's not working. Whereas the person who says, I'm going to put this money in this stock and I'm not going to look at it for five years. I'm going to put time in the market and we'll see what happens. This in the same way was an investment in myself. So I want to fast forward briefly to once you have weeded out these people who, who come back the next day for your session, what are you looking for during the class? Or let me, let me even back up before that. How do you prepare what do you look for during the class and how do you reflect on a class? I mainly look for one thing. My preparation is very minimal because I've been doing it for so long. I can literally do it in my sleep. <laughs> so, but when it comes to my relationship with my students, what I'm looking for is someone who's willing to be a student. The only problem students are people who think they already know everything I'm going to teach them at the beginning. And so far after teaching, you know, thousands of people personally, I haven't met anybody who knew exactly what I was going to teach them at the very beginning. And, and so the way you can evaluate that is you, you listen to the quality of their questions. And this is really a, a big difference in teaching kids versus teaching adults. Ironically, kids are much easier to teach meditation to than adults. But, and that's because kids don't come into the room with all these preconceived ideas about why they can't meditate. And it's natural because obviously adults have probably tried to meditate more than kids have. But because the kids are so much more open-minded to new things without judgment, then they get it right away. And that's really the only thing adults need is to be more open-minded to this new thing, this new approach without judgment. And so my job as the teacher is to kind of manage those expectations and get them into that headspace, no pun intended, in order for them to get what I'm teaching them right away. Now, 
the training, which lasts four days, has all kinds of stop gaps in it. So even if you are highly skeptical in the very beginning, usually that gets broken down over the course of the four days and you'll get it by the end. But that's really the only difference in people getting it right away versus not getting it until the second, third or fourth day is how open minded they are and how judge how self judgmental they are about their own experiences, because that's essentially it's not, you know, the whole secret is you don't have to control your mind, right? That's the big secret. So it takes me four sessions of instruction and them doing homework and and uh, just you know ask, answering their questions in order for them to arrive at the conclusion that, oh, you mean I really don't have to control my mind <laughs> after asking every kind of question around that and then finally coming to the conclusion that the mind can settle on its own if you just leave it alone. Mm. And so that's what I'm basically teaching people how to do, which is easier said than done. And you can attest to that, right? Yeah. I can tell you that. You can read a blog post where I write it. But until you actually go through this really beautiful, elegant process where I kind of show you not just what to do, but how the whole thing works. If we pop the hood and we look at the engine and we look at the whole thing and how it works and how it relates to this, these thoughts you're having and how it relates to the sleep that you're uh, experiencing once the course starts and how it relates to you know, the stress being released and all these different components, then intellectually, which is what adults need, they need it to intellectually make sense in order for them to buy into it. And once they do that, then it just starts to go, it, it becomes self-automated. So um, that was one of the things that really attracted me about this particular approach is that I didn't need guidance. Mm -hmm. I didn't need to play a tape and listen to somebody telling me what to do. And it's not that that's not relevant. It's just that that's more of like a training wheel version of meditation. Yeah. And my whole deal was teaching people how to become self-sufficient in the practice. So, you know, and that's, again, once you buy in with the exchange in the beginning, then that automatically opens you up because you're like, I want to get my money's worth out of this. <laughs> I paid a lot of money to be in this room right. and to have access to this person versus, you know, teaching people for $20 or for free or something like that. You, people aren't going to be invested enough to really go through the whole process in order to arrive at that place that they're going to ultimately need to get to in order to become self-sufficient in the technique. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because I recently have started taking tennis lessons again. And for people who take tennis lessons, at least in L.A., if you want a good teacher, it's going to cost you a little bit of money. And so I, I reconnected with my old tennis teacher from when I was a kid got his rate and I said, this is a lot of money. So I took a lesson with him and I said, well, now I've, you know, I've spent an hour with this guy, paid this guy this much money. I got to go practice. I got to go. I can't just take this lesson and stop. And that was the same experience I had with your meditation class where it's like, sure, I could download Headspace, but does that compel me to make sure I carve the time in my day? Or is it because I spent four days and a decent chunk of my money and, and made sure I asked my questions and was invested? That has made me way more diligent than if than, you know, just opening an app or popping into a studio on La Brea for 30 minutes and then walking out onto a busy street and the effects kind of wither away. So what you're saying 100% resonates with me. I want to make sure we address your amazing book, Knowing Where to Look, which I've already ordered three copies of. So don't wait. Just... Buy the book now. And this is a this is a kind of unconventional book 
and I'll let you talk a little bit more about the writing process and how it's different from a normal book that we might pick up. Sure. Yeah. I've been since 2016. So when I wrote my last book, Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation, it was my first book working with a publisher. I had done another book before that that I self-published. And it took me like three years to get it to a point where I felt like it was professional enough to, to put out into the market. And so I was very insecure about my writing by the time I got the deal for the second book. And that's one of the secrets about the publishing industry is that you don't need to be a great writer to publish a book <laughs> because they have <laughs> ghostwriters or they have editors that will work with you. So I was like contemplating, should I get a ghostwriter? Because I really wanted this to be a, a fantastic read for people. I don't want to sacrifice these trees unless, unless it's going to provide a lot of value to the world. And my agent talked me into just writing it myself. She says, look, you're a great writer. I read your other book, you know, and I did write that one on my own. And she said, you should just do it. So in an effort to practice my writing, I decided that I was going to start writing a daily email. And it became known as Light's Daily Dose of Inspiration. And it was just going to be a short little inspirational anecdote or story or parable. And that's the other thing I knew in my teaching stories really were really got the most attention. Whenever you I was lecturing to the class, you could see people's eyes glazing over. Whenever I said, let me tell you a story, everyone would perk up and be super <laughs> interested. So I just wanted to collect more stories that I could potentially use in my talks or in my lecture or my classes, or my teaching. And uh, so I decided to use this daily dose of inspiration as an opportunity to either create personal stories or find uh, existing stories and put them in my own words and all of that. And I was obviously, you know, reluctant to make that commitment of every single day, rain, shine, traveling, sick, whatever, I'm going to send something out. But that was what I committed to. And I was afraid I was, I was going to run out of content after about a month. And I did. After a month of doing it, I ran out of content. But then something really interesting started happening. Because I was showing up every day, I noticed that an idea would just come through, sometimes not until the 11th hour, but it would always come through. Something always comes through. And uh, now I understand the mechanics of behind it, which is genera uh, create creativity generates creativity if you invest in that. For yourself, then you will start to experience more of that. But in any case, this was June of 2016 when I started. Now we're in 2021. So it's been almost five years. And I've written, I've emailed out over a thousand of these, which means each one is like at least an hour, maybe two, sometimes five, six hours, right, of writing. And then, because writing it, Writing a draft is the easiest thing in the world, but revising that draft into to a shape where it's it's going to be ready to send out is like that can take a long time and you learn how to do it better and better as the time goes on. But it still takes a lot of time. So literally, you know, well over 10,000 hours <laughs> because for every one that I've sent out, I've probably written three. Oh, wow. That I didn't send out because they weren't in good enough shape to send them out. You know, and some of them I'm just 100%. Yeah. I had to write the first three to get to that 
fourth one, that was the one I was going to send out. Right. <laughs> and then I may go back a couple months later and, and revisit some of the older ones and then say, oh, that's what it was missing. That's why it wasn't ready. And I've, and then that one is ready to go out. So I've got it. I got a whole archive of unpublished daily doses that never have seen the light of day that I'll go through when I'm looking for ideas. I'll just go through and read them and see if anything stands out or if I have any insight to complete it or things like that. So in any case, that is what turned into my current next book, Knowing Where to Look, 108 Daily Doses of Inspiration. So I've basically taken the, taken the greatest hits, the ones that got the biggest response, plus some new ones, plus some revised ones, and I've turned them into a book. So in one sense, it was the hardest book I ever had to write because it took the longest time when I was actually writing the original doses. But in the other sense, it was the easiest book I ever wrote because they were already essentially pre-written. And it's meant to be uh, just like a pocket guide for inspiration. So, you know, when you go to a bookstore and you're perusing books, a lot of times you'll look at the cover and you go, oh, that's interesting title or whatever concept and you pick it up and you flip it open to just some random page and maybe something catches your eye maybe something doesn't catch your eye right but that will determine whether or not you buy the book and usually if it's a great story that captures your imagination then you'll buy that book or you'll at least consider buying the book and you get home and what happens you may read a couple chapters you put it down and then you don't pick it up again ever or maybe you do pick it up again a year later. So very few people nowadays are reading a book straight through from beginning to end. And I'm in that category. I have tons of books that I haven't <laughs> finished, right? I, I get it. So this book is really written to be, it's created to be read in spurts, right? And each story is a standalone piece of inspiration, just like the emails were. So you can literally flip it open to anything that catches your eye and it's been very highly designed to reflect whatever the piece is about and also to just be eye-catching. And even if you want to cut it out and put it in your fridge or something like that, it's like each one is like a little postcard in and of itself. And uh, But it's, it's meant to give you a little dose of inspiration and help you look at something in your life that you're going through a little bit differently in a way that could help you gain some new insight or new perspective and, and hopefully allow you to be able to move through that situation a little bit. Uh, with a little more clarity. So that's the idea behind the book. And it doesn't matter if you, you don't need to read it from cover to cover because it's not written to be read that way. It's written to be literally flipped open to any page at any time. And, you know, if you get some some uh, value out of that, then great. And if not, you flip to another page. You know, kind of like one of those magic crystal balls or something <laughs> that, will give you, that will help you find answers within yourself. That's That's the idea behind the book. My experience with your daily doses has been incredible. And I just want to share a personal one that really moved me, which is a few years ago, I wanted to try something that had been on my bucket list, which is running a marathon. So I ran the LA marathon and there was a daily dose that came into my mind. Like it was like Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars. Just like I could hear it as I was running and feeling a lot of pain and, and my ankles were killing me, my calves, my shins were killing me. And I remembered a day. Can I guess the one yeah. you're going to say? Yes, please. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Was it the one about running a mile, uh, a marathon in one mile, 26 times? Yes, that's the one. So if I remember correctly, you had a friend who ran a marathon and you congratulated him 
saying, hey, congrats on running 26 miles. And your friend replied, oh, I only ran one mile 26 times. And I remember, man, as I was rounding into San Vicente, and I think that was like mile 20 of 26 at that point, I was really starting to feel it. And I just remembered, oh, just do one more of these. And I got to mile 21. Just one more, just one more. And soon enough, I was on Ocean Avenue and I was heading toward the finish line. And soon enough, I had achieved this accomplishment that, you know, not too long earlier, I I thought, I don't know how I'm going to make this. Mm. And I think that's the power of your daily doses is sometimes you might read one and it gives you a good spark to the day. And that's great. And other times there will be ones that randomly pop into your head maybe as you're shopping at the grocery store on an idle Tuesday, or maybe you're you're doing something on your bucket list and it'll pop into your head and give you that extra fuel. I know it certainly did for me. So I encourage people to check out the book. And the beauty of it is everybody is going to find meaning in different daily doses mm-hmm. at different points. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some that I read once, maybe the first time you sent it out and I was like, okay, cool. And then the next time I was like, whoa, this is really resonating with me today because of this random thing I'm going through. So I encourage everybody to check it out. The marathon one is one that is just ingrained, burned in my head because mm-hmm. it was it was so helpful in, in achieving a goal that I'd been wanting to for so long. Yeah, and that's basically, those are the basic themes. There's like commitment, resilience, determination, leaps of faith. <laughs> I talk a lot about following your heart, leaps of faith and being... Um, open to new experiences and that kind of thing. So this is stuff that I think people grapple with on a daily basis because that's what I grapple with on a daily basis. I think people assume that I'm like, you know, floating around <laughs> on clouds or something all day, but I'm thinking about this stuff all the time, you know, and it's it's given, yeah. it's given my day-to-day choices a lot more weight because yeah. you have to walk your talk, you know, you people, the reader can tell if you're actually living this stuff versus if you're just saying it because it sounds like a nice positive thought thing to say. And uh, and I want it to be real. So, Yeah, and, and so many of these are stories from your own personal life, which mm-hmm. I, I find refreshing and I think is really accessible because many people like me who might have been initially skeptical of meditation, words like angels and the divine to a skeptic, that's like, you know, confirmation <laughs> bias, right? Um, so when people can kind of be engaged at first with things that are a little more, more accessible and relatable, I, I find that really cool. And then I can get to the, I can appreciate the angels on the divine once I, once I have a baseline <laughs> understanding. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, it's always fun to talk to you, Light. I want to be respectful of your time and we'll wrap up now with just a few little fun rapid fire questions. I usually ask my guests, what's an app you can't live without, but you are so enlightened. I think you're f- just fine without a phone. I think you'll be just fine. So I'll skip to who would you like to play? <laughs> no, I want to answer okay, that question. That's a good question. Go <laughs> <laughs> you mean aside from like WhatsApp and, and all of that, what's an app I can't live without? Yeah, I'll say besides the ones that just come with an iPhone, like messages or camera, is there a is there an app in particular that you can't live without? And it's okay if it's Instagram. It's okay if it's basic. That's fine. I mean, I am very much like addicted to Instagram <laughs> like anybody else who has Instagram. But I would say Spotify. I really like my Spotify. You know, just my music yeah. and I don't know, so many podcasts, the podcast, any kind of podcast player app. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm on social media pretty heavy. I actually upgrade it to youtube premium oh where you can you can play videos with your screen on lock so i use that app quite a bit 
But as far as like, you know, kind of random apps, there's not that many that I feel like, I mean, you know, I, I post a lot of videos on my social media. So I use this, I use a video uh, creator. It's like a design app called InShot. I use that mm. almost every day. Yeah, I, I have a lot of utility apps. Is that what you're asking? You're, you're, you mean like vanity apps? Yeah, 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 no, that's cool. InShot, that's perfect. Like that to me is really awesome because I want to start clipping these yeah, podcast exactly. conversations. And so I'm going to look into InShot, InShot right yeah, now. Yeah. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And the next one is, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability, what would it be? The ability to speak Spanish fluently. Because I'm in Mexico <laughs> City right now and my Spanish is lacking. And, you know, when you can speak a language fluently, you can get so much more context out of every experience you have in that place. You can connect with people. And I'm a connector. I'm all about, like, establishing deep connections pretty quickly with people. And it's just it's so much more limited when you don't speak the language. And lastly, the last question I ask all my guests is, we have a Spotify playlist called HDYD Jams, where we put a song recommendation from each of our guests. If there's a song you're jamming to right now that you'd like to contribute to our playlist, what would it be? You know, I've been on this, I've been on this Saul Williams kick lately. Have you, are you familiar with Saul Williams? No, but I'm certainly going to check okay. him out now. So I actually just interviewed Saul from my podcast in researching his body of work i went and did a deep dive on his entire discography and i was like man this this is some really really good stuff and but i don't know the names of his songs i'm gonna just i'm gonna tell you one right now because i'm looking at my spotify sure i would say start with saul's song called everything saul williams okay everything on on the rome album yeah, I, right. I, I milked that one last night. I listened to it like eight times in a row. <laughs> Everything. That that will be on the playlist, and I will binge all his, his hits after this. Um, and lastly, where can people check out your work, follow you on social media, check out the book, plug everything that can be plugged, please? Well, everything can be found on my website, lightwatkins.com, and uh, I'm on social media at lightwatkins on every, every social media platform for the most part. So if you don't find me at lightwatkins, I'm probably not on that platform very much excellent great and if you're curious about the podcast you can check us out on instagram at hdyd pod light i'm sorry i went over but it's so good talking with you uh, i appreciate you making the time no it was perfect i didn't even realize we went what the, <laughs> i didn't know what the time limit was <laughs> good good i'm glad uh thank yeah. you so much this means a lot absolutely man thank you so much for inviting me on i hope you found value in today's conversation if you still haven't left your review for how do you do podcast I'm going to walk you through the process right now, and it only takes 10 seconds. First, look at your phone screen and click where it says, how do you do podcast, which is in purple. And if you're not seeing this, then you're probably listening to this on a different app. So I want you to click on where it says, listen on Apple podcasts, and then you'll see the purple link. Click that. Then you'll just scroll past all the previous episodes to where it says ratings and reviews. And all you need to do is tap the star on the far right and you've left a five-star rating. I thank you in advance for taking the 10 seconds to do that, and I really, truly appreciate you listening to this episode. Thanks for sharing it with your friends and followers, and I'll see you back here next week. 